you produce cannabis where it should be produced and you sell cannabis where it should be sold. That's her thesis. That's what we've been fighting for. That's where we believe we have our right to win. And hence, that's her strategic pathway. In different markets, I would say we do not believe that our role is to change regulation. We have to understand that we cannot directly. However, what do we do? We try to influence to the extent we can. We have very good relationships with the agencies in the different markets. Why? Because we need to, because we're shipping product. We need to get permits. When the agencies start seeing that you're a serious company, that your that your COAs are very good quality, when you have all of these certifications, you start building that trust with the agencies. And I would argue that somehow through that trust, you help shape regulation. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host, Shada Taravi, and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. My name is Shada, and I am joined today by Andres Fajardo from Clever Leaves. They are based and headquartered in Colombia. I know this is going to be a really, really interesting conversation. I know that I've had a couple of international cannabis operators on the podcast over the years, but hopefully you guys are just as excited about me to learn more about Clever Leaves, to learn more about the impact that the company is having on the international cannabis cannabis markets. So welcome to the show, Andres. Super excited to have you here. Shada, thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here speaking with you and being able to share some of what we've done, some of what we've seen, and some of what we hope that we all do going forward for the international cannabis business. Heck yes. Yeah. So you're headquartered in Colombia. Are you in Colombia presently or where yeah, are you currently? That's correct. I'm uh, I'm, I'm currently in Colombia. I'm actually Colombian born and raised. There were some Colombian companies in the past that had a lot of Colombian people that mm. probably were here for a couple of weeks when they were born in the pit. No, we were, I mean, our, our team of co-founders is Colombian born, raised, lived here, well, lived other places, but we're true Colombians and, and we've been facing the cannabis industry from Colombia to the world. And we continue to do so after years now. So happy about that. So seven-year-old business, headquartered in Colombia, you have an impact though. I don't know if you have locations or just aspects of your business. I saw from your website, you're multinational. So can you just highlight some of those other countries that you're also operating in, please? The simple notion of, of Clever Leaves has always been in West from the beginning that we should produce cannabis where it should be produced. Hence, we're in Colombia. In Colombia, we have two different operating sites, or shall I say three. One is our cultivation site which is probably three hours north of Bogota, Bogota, the capital city in Colombia. And it's a location at 2,600 meters above sea level, same altitude as Bogota. So we, we picked that kind of location there because of the trade-off between yield and agricultural conditions. That's 18 hectares, so 1.8 million square feet of cultivation that fully licensed. It's EU GMP certified for the production of flour. It is GACP certified for the production of flour. Our second operating site is much closer to Bogota. It's, I mean, it's almost within the, the, the greater Bogota, let's call it. And, and there we have an extraction and formulation facility where, where we basically produce APIs or oral solutions 
that's also EU GMP certified, that's Ambisa certified from Brazil, that Colombian Inbima certified. We're expecting our Australian certification is the pure pharmaceutical manufacturing facility. And of course, we have our office in Bogota. And here we produce the cannabis. Our market is not Colombia. From here, we send it to different countries around the world. We've sent it to 15 different countries. Right now, we have a, a physical presence permanently in Australia, which is one of our key markets. Brazil, we serve from here. We have a physical presence in Germany. And, and, and Israel, which is our fourth key large market we serve now from here. We used to have a presence, but now we're serving from here. What we have in those countries, Shada, is really partners, right? We believe that in this industry, you cannot do everything by yourself. And I would say that a few years back, we thought we could. But the reality is we have to do what we're good at and where we can win. And we can win at producing very good cannabis. And we're partnering with companies that are operating within their country, that know how their country works, that know how the regulation works, how the commercial you know, aspects work. And we send our product to them and craft different type of agreements from fully pledged sophisticated partnerships to a simple supply agreement. And they're in charge of commercializing the product in, in their countries in general terms. Or countries that I mentioned, Australia, Brazil, Israel, and Germany are at mo- most active countries. We're setting as well to the UK, we're setting to Switzerland, we're setting to Portugal. So we're setting to a suite of other countries. And I would say we're one of the companies that globally has been able to have that international reach. It's complex, I'm happy to talk about that later. But that's a simple notion. You produce cannabis where it should be produced and you sell cannabis where it should be sold. That's her thesis. That's what we've been fighting for. That's where we believe we have our right to win. And hence, that's her strategic pathway. Everything you just said, I think, is blowing a lot of people's minds because of the way that cannabis works in the United States, especially our framework is very anti-interstate commerce. So the idea that you can even produce in Colombia and ship, export it out to these other countries is wild. Again, I kind of, you know, teed up. I have had a couple of international guests on the show over the years. I most recently was in Germany about a year ago in September. I had an opportunity to go and tour the stores in Bickle headquarters and got to do some work with them and as a content creator. And so being in Germany and kind of understanding what Germany's (laughs) cannabis program is like, right? It's Interesting, but I would love it from your perspective to kind of help clarify and outline. Germany is medical cannabis. Australia, I've heard some interesting stuff around what is legal even from a CBD or hemp perspective. So kind of now walk us through the legality of what you're doing and how the EU has structured and given you a runway to do clever leaves and and create your facilities in Colombia? Like what is the Colombian cannabis law, regulation, legislation? And does that fall within the EU? And then obviously some of these countries like Israel is really on the forefront of a lot of the cannabis research, especially with um, Dr. Mishulam, who recently passed, discovering a lot of these cannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system. And then even to kind of maybe put another point in this conversation. I just interviewed a gentleman who the episode will have aired by the time yours airs. So Barry, Barry, he is from Gentleman Smugglers. He was a smuggler in the United States and one of his exportation was from Colombia. So again, just historically Colombian gold, we know Colombia produces good cannabis. And so to now see your country doing it legally and having infrastructure in an industry. Again, the question I'm just curious to kind of kick off with is what is the 
regulation, the legality in Colombia and the EU that allows you to kind of import and export these products. Because again, it's very different than how American cannabis is operating. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's completely different. The, the, the model in the U.S. is facing its challenges, of course. And as, as, as there were more states to come in, expansion was relatively straightforward and protections were there as, 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 as companies are running out of more state posing challenges. And, and it's just hard to understand that an industry which is big is based on in-state production all the way through sales. So I don't think that's long-term sustainable. I think we all know that it's a matter of when, not a matter of if. And for us, it's a huge opportunity. However, we don't base our business plan in that or betting on when it's going to happen, et cetera. What we do do very well is understand extremely well the, the regulation and the pathways to different markets. And, and I like your question very much because it, it, it clearly puts the finger in one of the most complicated aspects of international cannabis, which is regulation and international trade, right? And so cannabis is a controlled substance, right? In general, all of the border protection have worked at stopping cannabis trade for years. And now comes a regulation that changes that. And now you are probably seeing and allowing Colombian cannabis, which I'll go there in a minute, to come into your country. That's very much a gigantic mindset change, right? It has to break a lot of paradigms at a very different levels. So let me break my answer into two or more or discussion into two, into two areas, Colombia, right? And two, the rest of the world where we are exporting. So first is as we thought about starting a company, we looked at two different dimensions. One, the market. Does the market make sense? And I think everybody agrees that the market for cannabis and medical cannabis makes sense. It's large, it's going to expand, its patients are there, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's taken longer than everybody envisioned. That's another discussion, but it's there, right? The second question we looked at is, do we have the right to win? For us in Colombia, number one, the agronomical conditions. And as we have 12 years, 12 hours of sunlight and 12 hours of darkness all year round, we have a lot of experience from, from the flower, from the cut flower industry, 70% of the cut flower exported to the U.S. are Colombian. We have very minimal changes in temperature and humidity throughout the year. So the growing conditions are, are perfect, right? So that's one, of course. There are other countries with that, but Colombia had to think that none other country had even for the tropical countries. One, regulation moved early on, right? Seven years ago seems like not too long. In cannabis, it's Many, many more years that's in right. real life. It's like, but, uh, but it was early. And that's important. I'll talk about regulation in a minute. But third, and you mentioned it as well, Colombia and, and your, and your background is marketing as a brand awareness, right? That our thinking was it's a product and an origin of product that people know, and it's going to make it attractive for the public. That's something good. We can use that. But at the same time, it has another implication for it, which is actually part of why we built this company, which is we want to change the image of Colombia from very low quality, crappy, illegal marijuana products to very high quality, pharmaceutical grade, fully legal, 
cannabis. And it's a big difference. And, and that's something we've worked on for, for a long time. Okay. And we can talk about that later. But going back to regulation, Colombia was relatively early, right? The thinking was, yes, there might be a market, but Colombia, we're going to set it up. When I say we, I mean the country is going to set it up as an export hub, right, of cannabis. And one of the interesting things about the Colombian regulation is it really took into account all of the international trade considerations for controlled substances, right, from the INCB, and included those guidelines into the regulation. Colombia at the beginning was a country that only allowed for the export or the commercialization of extracted products. So you could not sell any flower products. That changed a couple of years back, two or three years back. And that's why us as a company have concentrated everything in Colombia. At some point, we actually had an operation for flower in Portugal. Why? Because we couldn't do it in Colombia. Now that we can do it in Colombia, we decided to close down shop there and we have it all in Colombia. Okay, so that was number one. Number two, of course, it was medical cannabis. And this is something very important. The international trade of adult use cannabis at this point is not legal. And I know people say, yeah, it's easy. Germany's going to legalize and everybody's going to ship everywhere. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. If you, Canada is probably one of the largest exporter of cannabis at this point in the world. But if you look in detail, it's all medical, right? Why? Because the prosper the INCB, you cannot export a controlled substance, in this case, cannabis, for other uses beyond research and medical purposes, right? So it's medical cannabis. It was important in the regulation. So basically, regulation in Colombia was geared to the export of medical cannabis products. What happens and what's the challenge in Colombia? Look, we, we're, we've been one of the greatest exporters of illegal drugs for the longest time. So what does that translate into? A lot of controls, a lot of controls and a lot of hurdles, not only for your day-to-day operations, for your first for your licensing, for your day-to-day operations, but also for every single export that we do. For everything that we do, we have to deal with the Ministry of Health because it's a pharmaceutical product and they, they have like our FDA agency. It's also a narcotics controlled substance. So you, you have what's called here the narcotics fund which is basically the entity that, that controls all that trade of that legal narcotics products. We have to deal with the agricultural entities because it's a agricultural product. We have to deal with the justice, Department of Justice, because they are the, the ones who manage all the, all the policy and drugs. And we have to manage all of the anti-narcotics police. police. As, as an anecdote, we've had the anti-narcotics police in our, in our farm and, and we were looking at, at the plants and, and they were, it was a very strange feeling, right? Because they were used to control and destroy these crops for ages. And now they're here looking at them. We're trying to, to show them what this is, how this is different, yet it's still a big change. So we have been doing that. We have been the largest exporter for Colombia for, for, for a long time and, and we have for the longest time with many more countries, etc. And we have learned to understand the system within the country as to what is required for every single export. Believe it or not, we still face issues from not time to time for, for different exports. Every product's different. Flour is different. APIs are different. CBD products with less than 2.2% is different than CBD products with more than 0.2% THC. Everything is different. A labeled product is different. A final product is different. But I think we've now cracked the code. But I would say that's one of our core advantages. Why? Because we really understand 
the requirements from the exporting side. And something that we've noticed a lot in this industry and in general in international trade is you focus a lot on what's the requirement from the receiving end, which is, of course, important. But if you don't crack the case at the producing end, you can never export. That's in Colombia, right? That's key. Now, internationally, that's a real complexity, right? Because you have the EU, but there are really very little EU rules. It's country by country. Right. So Germany is very specific. Other countries in Europe, let's take Poland, let's take Switzerland, let's take Portugal. They are very specific on what they require. It's not the same as Germany. It's not a unified view. It's only next year that the new European pharmacopoeia is going to be adopted. So it is not really a European thing. It is country by country. For us, Germany, Australia, Brazil, and, and, uh, and Israel. Each of them is a completely different world. Just to illustrate very, very fast. Brazil, which in my mind is one of the larger underdogs that's going to come. And I believe it's going to be one of the largest markets soon globally. Is a 100% pharmaceutical market. It requires a product registration that can take up to two years and a very significant dossier, which is basically a, a file with all of the all of the specifications of a given product. It requires now to have an app Brazilian certification. That's why we have it. Uh, and, and it's a product that's only prescribed by physicians, sold to pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. They have different frameworks, right? They have a compassionate use framework, but that's, of course, smaller now that they have this, what they call RDC-327, which is for CBD-dominant, fully registered products. So it's a complex market, but once you go in, it's very hard to get in. That's Brazil, okay? You have, for example, Australia, very interesting market for us as well, a market that had been experts only. It's been flowered more recently. It's growing still, despite the relatively small population in Australia. A lot of companies focusing their product quality is increasing. We have the TGA, which I believe is, is a very serious, very, very well-structured entity to control. They recently enacted some regulation that, that requires you to have some sort of TGA certification to be able to export product. That's why many of the U.S. companies who are exporting product can now no longer export to Australia because that's since the FDA, which is a federal agency, doesn't certify them. There is no recognition. It's an issue, right? For example, for some U.S. producers in the, in the CBD world, for us, it's a good opportunity, right? Because we have everything that we require to send to Australia. They have different segments of product with Schedule 3 products, Schedule 4 product, what kind of information you can sell them with, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's very different. And the way that physicians prescribe and patients have access is different from others. Israel is, is I would say, is it's a very big market compared to its population. I would say it's a very protective market of, of market of its own producers. Very recently, they, or probably like a year or so back, they opened something called a, I think it's a constructive license. Basically, anybody could obtain a license to import. What happened? The market overflowed. I think many people are losing money and a lot of product is going stale. So it's evolving as well, which is probably one of the most important characteristics. It always changes. Shade. It's not like you learn and then you do it over and over again. Like if you were shipping a whatever product, it changes every so government changes, thing changes. The Ministry of Health can changes. Not only Israel, all of them. All of them. Uh, Germany, Germany, of course, is going through some interesting changes. Uh, I personally believe it's not going to 
be as others say, which is first to everybody said that if we're going to have adult use cannabis January 24. Yeah, they were true. so supportive of it. Happening. Of course, it, it never, never going to happen. So it's going to happen, but it's going to take time. And it's sure. good first step towards making it easier, the scheduling, blah, blah, blah. But, but the point is, if you want to be an international cannabis company, it's not like we imagine you sell, a commod- you sell a commodity and you just ship it to the world, send me a PO, I'll send you some product tomorrow. It's a process. You need import permits from the receiving country. You need export permits from the exporting country. You need logistic operators to, to know what they're moving across borders, et cetera. Every customs. Imagine a Colombian. We've sent some of our isolate products, CBD isolate product, which is pharmaceutical grade, to, to some research centers in the U.S. Imagine the process of our Colombian white powder oh, crossing the U.S. border. And rightfully so. Right. I understand. But that, I think, is the key, absolutely key in international cannabis. It's, sometimes it's a little heavy and it's not as sexy as other topics, as the branding and the flower and the organoleptics, blah, blah. But if you don't have that nailed down, you cannot sell. And not, you cannot sell in a consistent manner. I personally think everything you just said is extremely sexy and extremely important for people to grasp just because... I think there are certainly similarities between country to country and state to state, but obviously I think in a much more dramatic way because of everything you just articulated and highlighted, right? These countries are changing their laws rapidly. They certainly have more implications, I think, partially too, because you're speaking a different language in some cases. And so the understanding and the education around the products that you're exporting and they're importing is... Again, different than maybe what's going on in the States with 10 milligrams of a THC gummy here to 10 milligrams of a THC gummy there, which kind of leads me to wanting to ask you. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. So I understand that international is really 
on medical. And it's usually through your company, you refer to it as a pharmaceutical company, right? And I think in the States, pharmaceutical has certainly a little bit of a negative connotation. But from a medical perspective, which I think is part of the challenge with cannabis is, are we medicine? Aren't we medicine? Is it recreation? How do we view this? But that aside, it is medicine in everywhere kind of outside of the United States. And it seems like it's a much more sophisticated, I guess, program. The fact that you can import and export because the United States just really obviously can't really wrap their head around that from a THC perspective. But the point I'm trying to get at is in America, my understanding, at least in the early days, I think it's changing. If you were growing, which I know that not all cannabinoids come from the cannabis plant. I know some of them maybe start as a cannabinoid and they get converted through chemistry or these days you can make CBD out of an orange peel or so I've heard. But those early days, you had to get a license and then discern these are my medical plants and these are my recreation plants. Understanding that international is all medical, I'm just trying to get an understanding of the very like how do you as a business create products that are legal for all these different markets like some just want cbd isolate some are gonna want a higher percentage of thc some want flour some want just oils and and like more on the marketing side for i guess you win when let's say the doctor in brazil writes the prescription for cannabis you want that doctor to write more prescriptions, but I know that they're probably limited on products they offer. So maybe your Brazilian market is very flower focused versus maybe your Australian market is more isolate or oil focused or extract focused. So how do you keep up with, I mean, again, you were touching on it. Obviously, there's all these different regulations, all these different laws, but what does that look like in terms of like an operation? Like did Clever Leaves support all of it and how do you keep track of it and how do you have those conversations with do you even do you talk to the doctors in brazil and israel and australia because they're the ones prescribing it i guess i'm trying to think of like how do you close that loop because it just it seems like a lot if there's a requirement to say well my country only wants flour or my country only wants isolates and my isolates have to be this level of purity and no thc versus all the different crazy weird things that we're seeing um again it's a sophisticated marketplace that you can import and export but i know that it's also very specific what is accessible in those countries like i don't see edibles really big in any of these countries that you've highlighted is edibles a part of what you're manufacturing and are you seeing that so hopefully my question word vomit no. kind of makes sense i'm just trying to get an understanding of keeping up with all these different customer, so to speak, based on what the legalities are in their country, influencing then what you're manufacturing? It's a complex marketplace and reality. So our products are medical products, which means they have to be prescribed by a physician. And I would argue in general, cannabis is medicine and people use it for different things, right? You have everything from, from managing the, the, the side effects of chemotherapy to, to people who, I don't know, need better sleep or, or are stressed or something. So the range is very wide, right? right? And, and hence the products, I would argue, are very wide. On the more, when you imagine the patient sitting at home, feeling very bad, et cetera, 
that's probably more where, where some of the extracts come in when, and you have the more, what looks like traditional medicine come in, or traditional pharmaceutical medicine come in. Then you have a very significant number of people who go to their physician, that their physician determines, hey, you probably need this, you need to have cannabis flower because of, of pain, because of anxiety, because of uh, sleep issues, et cetera, et cetera. And then the world is a very, very different, right? Because um, then there are many, I mean, on the extracts, you're trying to, to, to sell, this is this milligrams per milliliter, you take these drops, blah, blah, blah. In the others, you're providing more uh, of an experience to the patient as well. So it's a conversation that, of course, involves the physicians, but it also involves the patient. I mean, the reality is, in my experience in markets that are, are, are the, the flower part of the market is, it's, it's always, there's always a physician, but it's more patient and availability driven than those markets, which are more extract driven, right? Brazil, for example, hundred percent extract, hundred percent extract that are high CBD. That's a hundred percent conversation with physicians. We're partnered there with a uh, couple of companies, Hypera, which is a very large pharmaceutical company there, one of the top three. We're partnering with Greenker, which I would argue is, is, uh, is one of the largest and uh, best cannabis companies. And they reach out to many, many doctors, um, speak to doctors. We look at research. We help them with use cases, what we've seen, what in the medical world, what research is out. It's a very scientific conversation. Take other markets like, I don't know, Israel or, or Australia, right? Yes, the physicians get involved in the extracts almost 100%, but in, in the flower, physicians are many times not as expert in the flower. So it's a conversation with the patient as to what they want. In Israel, for example, the physician doesn't prescribe the specific flower, right? You, you, you go and you actually buy the flower that you want once you have your prescription mm-hmm. to the flower. So, so it's a complex market to address, right? And, and somehow you have to talk to the pharmacist, so the guys, at the 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 the, uh, the point where where the patient goes, you have to talk to the physicians. If it's if it's flower, somehow the patient have to have access to understand what is that flower that you're selling me, right? What what is that patimorada, for example, which we're selling in Australia? What 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 where did that come from? I mean, what what's the kind of feel that I will get? What's the terpene profile? All of those things that a a a, a cannabis patient is wanting to look at. That market could look more like an adult use market, but still there's people that actually need the medicine. Otherwise, the physicians wouldn't prescribe it. So, so of course, it's a great line as to if it's full adult user, but it's really always uh, a physician in the middle. So, so the products, again, are more pure pharmaceutical on the extract side. I'd say they look more like what you'd see in the U.S. as a recreational product on the flowers. That's the reality. It's two different markets. And, and, and the reality is other form factors are starting to, to show themselves. That's and some markets, ask, it's easier. Some markets, it's more difficult. Well, for example, in Australia, it's easier to start seeing now more, more, for example, vape pens or, mm-hmm. or edibles. Uh, and it's starting to grow. And I think it's going to grow in the coming months and years. It's easier. In, in other markets, it's more difficult, right? In, in Germany, you see it the way the regulation is set up there. The pharmacist has to do a step. So yes, there is some base starting to show around where the pharmacist does something, but it, the regulation there doesn't allow for that easier. Uh, and uh, for example, right, for a physician, if you have a flower or a good vaporizer, most probably 
the vaporizer is better than smoking a flower, right? So I think there's space and that's what gets us excited of all those opportunities. But you have to understand, Shada, it takes a lot of time because it's, you, it's not, it's first, it's a political decision, which I mean, I understand that you're in the US, so you know what that, that, that takes time. And then it's, it's a complex combination between the medical uh, side of things, the, 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 the controlled substance side of things, public health. So it just takes time, but the, but the opportunities are there for more form factors, for blah, blah, blah. And yes, in the end, it has to be a series of different patients that have very different needs. Uh, and you have to set your product, set your communication in a different way. Flowers, very different from Mexico. And you can see it. I mean, you just Google uh, products in Germany and see what I'm talking No, it makes sense. And it's it's hard because it is a little bit like the consumer is driving it to some extent, but they're not the ones in control because it's their country or their doctor who's, what are they prescribing? What does their country have access to? And then you're on the other end of it saying, hey, I can source that or I can supply that. I can export that to your country. On that front, I'm just curious, how big is Clever Leaves, like footprint wise, in terms of getting involved in regulation or or policy? Do you stick mostly to where you are operating? So meaning mostly Colombia, you're trying to help influence policy. Obviously, you have operation exportation into these other countries, Australia, like do you get involved in Australia cannabis politics policy? You know, Germany, maybe some markets you do, some markets you don't, because obviously it impacts you at the end of the day where you can go do business. And because you've built your business at the size and scale that you have, I'm sure that you have some weight internationally to say, hey, this is how this country's done it. This is how our country's done it. This is how we, I mean, your facility looks stunning. Like all those accreditations you highlighted, those aren't small accomplishments, right? Those are really impressive things that apply to other industries, but I don't think are always a priority for cannabis operators. And I really admire and see a lot of the European, a lot of the international operators. Partially, I think because you have to, because it is classified as medicine, you really have to be just like any other pharmaceutical company, right? And so I just, I think it's, it's just, it's a really interesting position you guys are in where you're helping, you know, to bring this whole import exportation of cannabis to the world. And it's just, we're like you said, it's so new. We're just scratching the surface. So to know that it takes time to influence a lot of these politics and policy, how, how does your company work around that? How does your team work around that? Is it you and your leadership? Do you have a compliance team that is going and paying attention to all these different countries to make sure you have the right forms? Like, I just I I know what that's like from an American perspective trying to manage compliance across the United States. And at the end of the day, we are all still regulated by the farm bill or by our federal government of of the scheduling of of marijuana or big cannabis, right? So to know that you're operating in a bunch of countries where there's very different nuances, like there's just a lot to keep track of. So I'm curious how you address that and handle that. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot to to that question, and uh, and let me try to break it down. Uh, Sorry, you know, loaded as, as best as I can, as best as I can. First of all, we we're three co-founders. So one of my co-founders, Gustavo, 
he's been really, he started from the very beginning, led the project in, in the first years and, and is currently working on all the, on, all of our flower units, right? So he's one, he's making sure all of that flower basically caters to the needs of the different markets in a sustainable way with the quality required. Our other co-founder is Leon, and he's our chief regulatory officer. He used to be the drug policy director here in Colombia. And he's great at what he does. And but so what does he do and what do we do as a company? In Colombia, I, I would say we have helped drive regulation. And I, I would say we have helped drive regulation as a, as a player in the industry, as Colombians, as members of Socolcana, which is the association of cannabis companies in Colombia. And we have worked with different governments from different uh, political sites to try to build regulation that, that makes the business sustainable and workable. And we have been pushing for that with a lot of it, right? I, which is where we think we have some right to win. We're Colombian, we understand we're here, et cetera. In different markets, I would say we do not believe that our role is to change regulation. We can, and we have to understand that we cannot directly. However, what do we do? We try to influence to the extent we can. And the way we do that is probably twofold. Number one is we, I would say two or three. Well, number one is we have very good relationships with the agencies in the different markets. Why? Because we need to, because we're shipping product. We need to get permits. And, and when the, when the agencies start seeing that you're a serious company at your, that your COAs are very good quality, when you have all of these certifications, you start building that trust with the agencies. And I would argue that somehow through that trust, you help shape regulation. You help shape their understanding on what's the type of companies we want in this country, et cetera, et cetera. So that's number one. Number two, more specifically, giving our experience in international trade and in production with all of these certifications. No, we have hosted delegations, for example, from other countries, for example, from Brazil. From, from Costa Rica, governments come and talk to Colombia. And when they come to Colombia, they always go to our farm, talk, talk to our teams. Why? Because we're one of the largest. And, and, and I think we're the largest and we are the company that's being exported to most countries. So sharing that experience, sharing the, the, the do's and don'ts in a way, or, or at least a view of, of what's worked and what doesn't work, I think helps shape regulation in all those other countries because Countries are, it's not that they're dumb. It's really that this is just one piece of a bunch of things that they're doing and they don't know. Right. So they're coming looking for that experience and we are very open in sharing it. And I think that works. Right. And thirdly, we are members of associations in different countries so that through associations, different countries, we can help somehow influence regulation. However, Shada, I think, frankly, as I was saying at the beginning, at the beginning of the industry, we all thought we can do everything and, and, and there is a lot of money and, and, and it's restricted and we can do everything. We can even change regulation. But, but now we've come to the conclusion that you have to do what you're good at. You have to make money. There is not money available like there was no tomorrow. And in the case of regulation, we need to fully understand regulation in those markets and our regulatory team is tremendous at that. And we do. Sometimes we understand it better than our client, right? But, but we understand that our right to win is helping shape regulation in Colombia, helping under, uh, understanding fully regulation outside, and to the extent that we can, influence regulation. But that's not one of our areas where we say, let's invest a lot of money. I mean, it's, 
it's very hard, right? To the extreme, there is lobbying. Like we're not going to pay. We don't even have the money to pay for lobbying. So, so we understand what we can do from our position. Well, and it's such a slow moving game of chess. I mean, just being involved in American cannabis politics, I really make it clear to people I don't know anything else about any other subject, but cannabis politics, I think consumers assume that was to your kind of point observation is really easy. We're just going to legalize and everybody's going to get the products they want. And now being involved and having conversations, it's obviously very political and it's beyond the politics. It's who are my constituents and who are my buddies and where's the money moving? And it's just a bigger conversation, much more um, of an investment. And so it's just, it's cool to hear just how things are kind of unrolling from an international perspective, as well as it totally makes sense. You guys obviously investing really heavily into regulation and policy within your own country for which you're operating. But then, yeah, you want to support and you want to help influence as much as you can, but you're recognizing you can't go into every country because that's a multi-year battle of conversations and just trying to make that change happen. So I commend you guys for for having those conversations and for trying to open your facilities up to other countries, other delegates where you can, because it really is just the industry is so new. And so that's where I'm hoping at least conversations like the one that we're having can help inform my American audience of what can we anticipate in America cannabis? I don't think anybody wants to acknowledge that, you know, it's kind of like this fight, right? You want accessibility and you want people to have access to the plant. But does that mean we all become operators? No, probably not. I don't think it's economical for everybody to be growing. Exactly. Like you highlighted Colombia is really great for growing. Germany, maybe not so much. So Germany, hey, you don't need to grow. Let us grow. Let's have that relationship. And so obviously there's been some data thrown around over the years of how many states actually need to grow cannabis to support the rest of the United States. And it's obviously not every state growing cannabis. Oh, so Way less, way less than all. Yeah, so it, it's just level setting expectations and also getting people a little bit more of that perspective of kind of what does landscape look like other places. And so I really appreciate because I'm learning so much and I just it's, it's good to know and to kind of get out of your own ecosystem sometimes, right? Kind of going back to Colombia, I'm really curious just for clarification. So there's licensing. It's legal, obviously, to have your business. Is it legal to consume? Is, is it medical in Colombia? Can people access or are you purely exporting? It's just legal to export. There's no consumption or medical. No, in, in Colombia, it's, I mean, in Colombia, first of all, you're allowed to consume by the constitution. So you're allowed to consume in general, particularly narcotics. In the case of cannabis, for example, you're allowed to even grow up to 20 plants, which is a lot. I don't know who came up with the 20 plants, but it's a lot. Okay, Colombia. So you can have 20 plants in your home, consume it, and that's legal. Okay. And that's also true with other controlled substances. Now, what's illegal in Colombia is the trade of cannabis or any controlled substance. So in theory, you can grow it and smoke it or do whatever you want with mm -hmm. it, but you know, cannot send it. That distribution is what's legal. And that's been for the longest time, to be honest. It's not new. Now, from a legal industry perspective, uh, medical is legal, okay? And it's similar somehow to the German model where you have to have a prescription and you have to have what's called a magistral formulation, ma magistral preparation, which is like a compounding pharmacy that actually should mix and match your medication. 
and you deliver it to patients. Uh, I think the market has not picked up as much as we all expected, although we have, we were not really focusing on Colombia for, for, I would say one big reason, at least, or two. One is the way in which all those magistral formulations work is kind of a little cumbersome and it takes time and it's expensive, et cetera. But the second one is Colombians are not used to paying for medicine, right? We have a universal healthcare coverage, uh, a universal coverage healthcare system where everything gets paid by the insurance system, which basically has a backstop by the government. So, so it's it, when you're used to getting all your medicines for free, 100% of medicine and 100% of treatment for almost free, you're very seldom going to pay for cannabis. At the beginning of this year, it was a change, and they allowed to include cannabis in the in the things that these insurance companies can pay. But it's been slow. They they have been reluctant to include it. It's not enforceable. So it's, it's been low to really pick up. What are we doing now, which we recently actually launched this week, is we're trying to be disruptive, right? So we tried to launch, we're launching a, 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 a uh, pathway in which people can get a, go to their doctor, get a prescription and buy cannabis, which is significantly lower cost than what was available before. It's a bet to basically serve the Colombian patients more than anything. It's, it's not that we're going to become rich from selling to Colombian companies, but we, we believe we have a responsibility to the Colombian patients. So we're trying to do that as well. So we're trying to have a disruptive, more online kind of model that allows for it. We just launched this week, but uh, so it's legal. Recreational is not legal. However, last year, for the first time after many attempts, regulation passed through seven out of eight debates that it required in Congress. It failed the last one, which was a shame for us. Because uh, we think we're ready for adult use in Colombia. I think we are probably the most ready than any other company. But it failed in the last one. It's again in Congress. It has to go through eight. But in, in previous attempts, it had gone through one or two debates, right? This time it went through seven. That's making more progress. Government is supportive. So, so it's really a matter of when. And when that happens, Colombia is an interesting market. Colombia is 55 million people. People drink quite a bit here. They Some of those indicators show that when cannabis legalized, there will be a market. And on what you're seeing, yes, there is very cheap, more crap, illegal cannabis out there. But when you start bringing very good genetics, top-notch organoleptics on your flower, edibles and other form factors through the legal framework, I, I believe that the industry is going to be quite significant. still 55 million people. Maybe price point is not going to be the same as the U.S., but it's an interesting price point given the, co- the production costs that we have here in Colombia. Yeah, obviously, I didn't realize or understand that Columbia, from a healthcare perspective, that makes sense if they're covering healthcare and then cannabis wasn't. And so your company wanting to come in and help adjust some of that cost difference. On that note, kind of two-part follow-up question, I don't think they necessarily go hand in hand, but I'm just curious. Because medical, we call it medical cannabis in America. But a big question we get is, but my insurance doesn't cover it. Is that different country to country or because it's medicinal in Germany, does their insurance cover it? Is it truly encapsulated into their pharmaceutical program or it seems like it might Mm -hmm. like very country to country? Part. Germany is a good example. But for the insurance companies to cover it, you have to go through a series of hurdles. The doctor has to go through a series of hurdles. It ha- they have to show it's the treatment of last resort. It has to be one of the approved indications. So yes, uh, it's covered for a portion of the market, sure. which is more stable. For example, there, if you, if you are a patient, you use that flower and you go through that, you don't switch strains every two weeks. 
when it's out of pocket in Germany, strange switching happens all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's two different, two distinct markets. Sure. When I was saying there is the more medical patient that goes to the insurance, all of that, and there is more of the people who are also medical by definition because the doctor prescribes it, but but they need it for something that allows them to change trains, to try, sure. try different experiences, et cetera, et cetera. In Colombia, that's the, the issue is, as I said, 100% of people get 100% of their medicine or at a cost that is nominal. So paying for something that's not necessarily cheap. Right. Which is what we're seeing in America, too. I mean, even on the hemp CBD side, you have people who are coming in and they're like, well, I want to take this as medicine. Can't my insurance cover it? And I'm like, unfortunately, that's not how this works. And and trying to unravel that. I've had a couple doctors on the podcast recently, and that's one of their biggest hurdles of federal legalization is you're going to legalize it. Well, then you're going to have to reconcile how people access it and what the cost points are from that perspective. So that makes sense. The other part of the question I was going to ask, just because I'm really curious, I think it's Thailand. Thailand just legalized. You're seeing certainly like brands like Cookies go and implement. What is, does Clever Leaves do anything in any of the Asian countries? Like, I don't know much about Asia, Thailand, obviously just seeing some of the news highlights with Cookies going in there. I'm just curious what your take is on... We haven't done Thailand. I'm not an expert. We've looked at it. Some of Thai regulation is well more recreational, as, as you mm-hmm, see, mm-hmm. which precludes international trade. Mm-hmm. So, so theirs is probably so restricted to growing. Yeah, I'm not an expert. We've looked at it and, and, we, and we, we, we came to the conclusion at that point that, that it, we couldn't access it at that point. So, okay. so we stopped. We're looking at some things in Japan that has some things in CBD, but it's interesting because you cannot extract the flower from or to see the CBD, you have to extract the, the stems and the leaves and the seeds. It's just strange. It's an evolution. The science and the deduction of some of these laws is like, who did you who did you talk to before you wrote that language? Exactly. I mean, who came up with that? Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I just was curious. Again, I think some of the bigger countries you see, obviously Germany, like you've been discussing this whole time, especially with and the media thinking that Germany was going to flip a lot sooner and then they're kind of stalling out now, but that the impact that Germany will have on the other European Union kind of countries. And then, of course, you've got Australia, you've got Israel, Thailand, of course. It's just, it's a lot to keep up with. And so I don't envy the position that you're in from a regulation and compliance perspective, but it is really exciting to see the care and detail that you and your team at Clever Leaves are putting into place to help have that conversation um, at a professional high level way, given the parameters and the boundaries that you are <laughs> kind of forced to play within. So I feel like I've learned so much from this conversation today. Yeah, you know what, Shane, except that you just mentioned and the Thailand discussion, that's what's exciting, right? Because yeah. as I was saying at the beginning, the market there, it's taking a lot more time than we all envision, but it has to be open. It has to open. It will open. There are now Thailand's there. They open somehow, but there's going to be a way. Japan's changing. It takes time because in Japan, it takes a lot of time. But when they do it, they do it well. France is now for the discussions of opening up. So, so when that happens, companies like us who are prepared, who have the channels, who have the access, who has the certifications, and who has the product developed, the top-notch flowers, very good actor, et cetera, we're going to be in a very good position. That's exciting for us. But yes, it tough. It's taken time. It's it's required a lot more money than we all envisioned. But that's what's exciting because if that wasn't there and we, we all believe that it's going to stay as it is, nobody would be in, the, in this for the long run. But I think 
the whole industry is going through a great tough time, right? On, on delays, on uh, lack of capital availability, et cetera. And um, I think many companies are not, not, not going to survive, but those who survive and ha- who, who have the right capabilities for the future are going to, 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 to be in for a very exciting ride. And, and that's something that motivates us quite a bit. Yeah, I can agree more on your sentiment and observations. It is something to continue to pay attention to. I know I will continue to be tracking what you and the Clever Leads team are up to. And I just really thank you again for spending time educating us, informing us, and learning a little bit more about international cannabis. So thanks again, Andres, for being on the To Be Blunt podcast. I really appreciated you. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.